We're looking at the vision of RMC, be disciples, make disciples, send uh, disciples through the life of Peter, through the lens of Peter. If you remember last week, Jesus coming into Peter's life and evading his life through grace, causing this huge catch to come into Peter's boat and inviting Peter to come and follow me with this promise that I will make you, I will make you into a fisher of men. And that's exactly what God does in our lives as well. He he invites us to follow him. This week, as you lived your life, was that a little bit more in the forefront of the authority of Christ in your life and following him? And now we're going to see in chapter 16 in Matthew, a one moment in time, and this is happening over three-year period in Peter's life, but this is one snapshot where we see Jesus really forming Peter's life. I want us to look at this a little bit differently in light of the vision of the church is what Jesus does in Peter's life is what he's also doing in our life. As we look to be a disciple and then he's going to make us. These elements that Christ walks Peter through, he's going to walk us through as well. And then as we seek to be a disciple maker where we impact and influence others, we can use these same techniques, these same methods that Christ used to invest in others. So let's look in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Jesus is the master at asking questions. A lot of times, the dialogue that happens with so many individuals in the Gospels takes place through asking questions. And as he's in the life of the disciples, he asks this question, who do men say that I am? What's the popular opinion about who do people say that I am? If we would stop and listen to the questions that Christ asks of us, I think there's a lot of growth that will take place in our lives. Maybe you've been reading the word And there's something that stands out where God's really questioning me on this. He's really asking me to consider this. He brings up circumstances in our lives that cause us to really ponder. And then as we, in turn, invest in others, this is a great way to make disciples is to ask questions. It seems like a lot of times in the body of Christ, we think, well, if I'm making a disciple, I'm doing all the talking. Maybe because we're used to learning in a setting like this where we hear teachings and we hear sermons. So, okay, I'm going to do some mentorship. I'm going to do some discipleship. So let's get out our Bibles and and you listen to to me talk. May not be the best way to one-on-one make a disciple. Is ask questions. See where they're at. Facebook has made a lot of money on one question. What's on your mind? Have you noticed that when you go to your Facebook account or that Facebook account that you used to have before you started getting censored, right? (laughs) What's on your mind? And that actually is a really good question because when we ask people, well, how's it going? Good. Really? Is it going good? It's easy to pass that one off, but what are you thinking about? What's on your mind? What's, What's on your heart? And even more so, if we can begin to ask questions about Christ, who do you think Jesus is? Who do people say that that Jesus is? And this is going to get really personal for the disciples. Try that as you seek to make disciples, as ask questions. 
for the purpose of their hearts getting opened up to the Lord. Verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Quite a varying opinion about Jesus. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now it gets personal. The question gets personal. Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter in this moment, Simon Peter, as he's a disciple and God is making him, he understands that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. Christ is Messiah, the one who is prophesied in the Old Testament. Messiah literally means the anointed one. The nation of Israel was looking for the Messiah, and Peter realizes, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And it must have been quite a process for Peter to come to this revelation and come to this understanding. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus recognizes the work of the Father in Peter's life. This is the Father revealing to Peter who Jesus is. And when we think of God making our lives, we think of how the Lord opens up our eyes to who Jesus is. That supernatural revelation and understanding of who God is. And it continues to happen. And we're so thankful and dependent upon God's revelation, that gift that comes from the Father. But also, as we desire to make disciples, we want to be looking for and depending upon the supernatural work of the Father. I think a lot of times we want to reduce disciple-making down to a process. Well, if I do this and I do that, then I can make disciples. And I want to make disciples. Jesus told me to make disciples but this takes place through the supernatural work of God. We want to be depending upon God's supernatural work that nobody else can do. Saying, Lord, would, would you open up the hearts of my kids? Would you open up the hearts of my coworkers, my neighbors? And then waiting and watching and going, okay, there's a God moment. God did something. This person's starting to ask questions. There's a, a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. And I'm going to invest in that. And I'm going to move towards, towards that. In verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Notice that we see Peter referred to as Simon in verse 17, but he's referred to as Peter in verse 18, Simon means shifting sand. Peter means rock. And God's doing a transformative work in Peter's life in this moment. He's literally making Peter in front of our very eyes. A man who is very shifty. A man that seems to be very emotional and up and down. You never know what you're going to get. Never know the words that he's going to speak. God's making him into a rock. God is transforming his character. And as we go from be to make to send, God's doing that work in our lives. He sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves. And as we seek to be a disciple maker, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, we want to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in someone's life that they may not even see of themselves. Hey, you're a, you're a Simon, but you're going to be a Peter. 
And God is really going to use your life. And there's that affirmation that comes into Peter's life. The rock that Jesus is referring to is the confession that Jesus is the Christ. As wonderful of a man as Peter is, Peter is not the rock in which God builds his, his church on. In fact, in the Greek, it's really clear in verse 18, for you are Peter, small rock, and upon this Petra, upon this huge rock fortress, I will build my church. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the rock in which Jesus builds his church. Aren't you thankful that Jesus continues to build his church? And as we think of being, making, and sending to know that God is going to continue to build his church. And that gates of Hades don't prevail against God's church. That means the church is to be at the gates of hell. We're to be at Satan's campground, at Satan's youth group, longing to see for God to do a work. The church shouldn't be retreating. We shouldn't be on our heels. In these dark and difficult times spiritually, we should be looking for those opportunities that God wants to do and God wants to to bring. In verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Christ gives authority to the church. Verse 20, then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. It wasn't the time to declare that Jesus was the Messiah. I want to continue in this text because this is a wonderful part of Jesus making Peter. For that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Remember, these are Jewish men living under Roman occupation. When they hear Jesus is the Christ, they're hearing Christ is going to defeat the Romans. They're thinking of all of the Old Testament prophecies of Christ ruling and reigning over nations that are going to be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. And Jesus knows that about them. And he knows his mission is to die on the cross. So he begins to instruct them of his suffering. This doesn't taste good to them. It doesn't feel good to them. It doesn't sit right with their expectations. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you, can you picture Peter? Hey, Jesus, master, teacher, can I talk with you for a moment? You know, this whole thing about you suffering and dying upon the cross and rising on the thir- third day, you need to stop. You need to stop doing that, right? It's a strong word that's used. He was rebuking Christ. He's rebuking the Lord, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, these two things should not be in the same sentence, Lord and rebuke. <laughs> we, we don't rebuke the Lord, right? This comes right on the heels of Peter having this amazing epiphany, understanding that Jesus is, is the Messiah, and this affirmation of his calling, that God is going to, to use him. But now he's in a place where He's rebuking the Lord. The response of Jesus, if you were to read this for the first time, it's really strong. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, 
for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. This is such an important part of God making our lives. Being a disciple, making a disciple, Jesus said to Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. God will make us, and he does it through correction. He will correct us. He affirms us, he reveals himself to us, but he'll also correct us. Peter needs to hear this. Right now, he's lined himself up with Satan. Satan does not want Jesus to go to the cross. Satan knows that this is where victory is gonna be won, and Peter unknowingly finds himself in the chorus of Satan. Jesus says, I don't want any of this. Get, get behind me, Satan. That's a bad day at the office when Jesus calls you Satan, right? And then he gets to the very heart of the issue for Peter is you're concerned with the things of men, not the things of God. As I've been praying and thinking about this section of Scripture, I think what Peter is wrestling with is what we wrestle with as well in this process of God making us of saying, am I really gonna be mindful of the things of God or am I gonna be mindful of the things of men? And also, as we invest in others, receiving from Jesus, allowing him to pour in our lives and then pouring into others, we wanna get to the heart of the issue. Transformation comes as we press in to the heart of the issue and many times it's selfishness. Well, what's keeping us from following the Lord? Well, what's keeping us from being fishers of men? Well, we're mindful of the things of men. I'm thinking about Team Eric instead of Team Jesus, right? And that has to be addressed in Peter's life. So when you get corrected by the Lord, remember it's because he loves you. Remember it's because he's making you. He's he's transforming you. When you get to walk alongside someone else and in humility and love, bring some correction, some exhortation, know that that's a really big part of the process. We just got done studying 2 Corinthians, and Paul really bring out the spanking paddle, didn't he? Why? Because he loved them. He wanted to see that transformative work that God would do in their lives. In verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. After the rebuke is instruction. When God does correct us, listen for the instruction. Listen to what he will bring and proclaim in your life. I'm reading through Exodus in my devotions right now, and this week I was in the section where the children of Israel were grumbling and complaining. And the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, just began to bust me on my own complaining. And I didn't really want to hear it in that moment. As I was reading the Word, it was like, no, I'm not a complainer. That's not, that's not me. I'm not acting like the, the children of Israel. And I just felt the Holy Spirit wrestling with me and wrestling with me. And I was considering what I was reading, what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. It's like, yeah. I am in a place where I'm complaining. And then I felt challenged. I felt instruction follow that rebuke that the way out of that complaining was to be grateful and to be thankful. God in his love for me through his word exposed my complaining spirit and showed me a way out by being grateful. 
When God rebukes, he's always going to bring the instruction. So listen for the instruction. Oftentimes, his rebuke is succinct, it's, it's quick, it's specific, and it's followed up with practical wisdom. It's not difficult for us to understand, but will we have the humility to be able to receive it? Also, as we then come alongside other people's lives, if we're going to give a rebuke, we better give an instruction, right? If we're going to challenge somebody and say, hey, this is the reality of your heart, then instruct them through God's word and show them a way forward. What's, what's the next step? There's nothing more frustrating to have someone just confront you that you're wrong and say, good luck, <laughs> see you later, right? Glad I could be a help. But if you can see the rebuke, then also see the instruction and, and pass on some instruction as well. In verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is what Peter needs to deal with. For him to become a fisher of men, to have God's priorities, he's got to deal with the selfishness. He's got to lose his life for Christ's sake so that he can find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? On several occasions, I've heard of people passing away within the week that they retire. Work, save, work, save, work, save, have these goals for retirement, and pass away within the week of, of retirement. Now, that, does that mean you shouldn't prepare for those older years? Yeah, I think we probably should. But what if you're living for retirement? What if everything is about Oh, as soon as I can stop working. And what if you pass away before you get to retire? What if you pass away shortly after retirement? These are good questions to ponder and consider. And notice once again, Jesus is giving Peter questions to wrestle with. What does it profit a man if he has the whole world, but he loses his soul? In verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. Surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration, which takes place in chapter 17. Let's fast forward in Peter's life a little bit. Peter denies the Lord at the trial of Christ warming himself by the enemy's fire. He's just said, even if these deny you, I will never deny you. God, in his unconditional love for Peter, goes and dies for his sin, all of his sin, including Peter's denial of Christ. Christ rises from the dead. Peter decides to go back to fishing, what God had called him out of. He's supposed to be a fisher of men. Jesus, in his grace, pursues Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter's fishing all night long, once again, catches nothing. Jesus cooks him breakfast. What Peter was looking for, fish, was found at the feet of Jesus. Christ calls out and says, why don't you cast your net on the other side? They do, and once again, get a huge catch. This reminds John of something that had happened, what we studied last week. Jesus takes Peter back to where he called him 
He gives him another experience of a huge catch. And John says, that's the Lord. That's all Peter needed to hear. And he jumps in, he swims to shore and has this conversation with Christ where Christ restores him. The last words of the gospel is in Matthew chapter 28. It's the Great Commission. It's the send. It's be, make, and send in the life of Peter. Peter's now getting sent out to go and take the gospel. In verse 16, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. 11 disciples because Judas has hung himself after betraying Christ. Christ said, I want you guys to wait for me at this specific mountain in Galilee. So they were obedient to that. In verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So as Christ reveals himself to them in his resurrected state, they worshiped, but there was still some doubt that's filled in their heart. When it comes to the Great Commission, when it comes to going out and telling people about Jesus, it's all summed up in worship. If we're impacted by the death and resurrection of Christ, we're like, wow, Jesus, you died for my sins. You rose again. You conquered the grave. You love me and you love the world. In that place of worship, then we're gonna have a contagious faith to be able to go and share with others. But if the worship is not in the Great Commission, it's gonna be duty. It's gonna be, okay, I gotta tell people about Jesus because this is my responsibility as a Christian. I mean, you talk to a diehard fan, you know, people that still like the Broncos, there's something contagious about that. They're, they're already talking about next year and you're like, I think you're, you mean five years from now, right? But they're, they're committed. It's caught their attention. Jerry Briggs says this, Preach to the gospel to yourself every day. Paul David Tripp expounds on that. Every day you preach to yourself a gospel of loneliness, inability, and lack of resources, or you faithfully preach to yourself the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preach to yourself the gospel. What does that look like? Every day, I'm a sinner whom Jesus loves, and he died for my sin and rose again and I'm going to heaven. Amen. And we get into these treadmills in our minds where we do preach things to ourselves. Man, my life is really difficult. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Man, look at what's going on in our country. I can't believe that this is happening. There's no hope for tomorrow. And that becomes the message that we're dwelling upon. But the message we need to be dwelling upon is the gospel that we're loved by God, that he has a future and a hope for us. And it's from that place of worship that we see this command. In verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Is there anyone questioning this at this point? He has just defeated the grave. This is the line of the tribe of Judah rose from the dead. No one else has ever accomplished this. And he says, by the way, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When we think about going out and proclaiming Jesus, it's from the position that we're being sent by Christ. 
and he has all authority. Maybe in your job, in your company, the owner, the CEO, the boss, tells you to go do something. And you're out doing it, and another employee says, what are you doing? Oh, well, the boss sent me, right? I'm operating under the authority of of the boss. How much more so the creator of the universe who rose from the dead saying, I am sending you to do this. I am giving you authority to do this. In verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So let's think about this in terms of vision of RMC. I believe that this is God's heart from the scripture that we would choose to be disciples, that we would understand the gospel and we would want to follow Christ. And then as we're committed to following Christ, that we would be open to him making our lives. And what's he making us into? He's making us into someone who's willing to fish for men. That's not living for the things of this world, first and foremost, but because of God's glory saying, I want to invest in people. I want to I love on people. And God will use those same methods that he did in Peter's life to transform us and to, to change us. And then this is our command. This is what God gives us to go out and to make disciples. What do you think this would mean for Peter at this point in his journey? He'd go, okay, I know how Jesus loved me. I know how Jesus challenged me. I know how Jesus sacrificed unconditionally for me. I'm gonna go out and do this for other people. I'm gonna invest in them the way that Christ has invested in me. And I'm gonna proclaim to them the good news of the gospel. Guys, don't make this complicated. Don't make this something that was like, oh man, this is so heavy. I don't even know how to make disciples. Well, what's Jesus done in your life? What is he doing in your life? How does he love you? Then go and love others in that same way. And have that mission and that direction to say, I'm gonna make disciples in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. A big part of this is the gospel, taking the gospel to people. In Romans chapter one, verse 16, it says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Let's ask the question, am I ashamed of the gospel? Can I talk about my kids and talk about sports and talk about my crazy old truck and Chipotle, and, but I get kind of ashamed about talking about Christ. Am I comfortable with talking about the gospel with, with people? Why I felt that this was so important for us to pause and consider this right now as, as a church is because we have a really unique time to reach out with the gospel of Christ. Never in our lifetimes has there been something like this with the pandemic. There's also so much tension that's taking place in our country politically with our our government. We watched the Capitol building get stormed. You bring up politics and the tensions really start to, to rise. There's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of fear in, in people's hearts. 
And that gives a tremendous opportunity to share the gospel. Gives a tremendous opportunity to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ. And hopefully one of the things that we're encouraged with with Peter's life is God's not looking for perfect people. God uses Peter. Peter's a broken mess. Peter just got done denying the Lord. And this is who God wants to to use. God wants to use you, and he wants to use me if we're open and we're willing and we're available to go out with the gospel. Hopefully one of the things that we've seen through this last 12 months is that the church is not a building, and the church is not to stay in the building. We're being equipped to be sent out, to love unbelievers, to get involved in in their life. God has strategically placed us in different parts of the city to bring the love of Jesus Christ to those that, that don't know him. So as you think about, well, how do I share the gospel? As we talked a bit about last week in preparing your testimony, writing it down, how did God save you? Get that three-minute version wrapped up. Commit John three sixteen to heart and Romans 10, 9 and and memorize it. Be open to the work of the Spirit to go and proclaim the gospel. This is gonna sound really crazy, but the gospel cannot be shared without conversation. So we need to be looking to talk to people. Whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, for the sake of the gospel, I wanna get in people's lives. I want to ask some questions. Ask them how they're doing. Genuinely care for them. Look for that opportunity to segue to what the gospel is. My mom has really lived out her life with a Great Commission perspective. There'll be times that she calls and says, oh, I got to lead my neighbor to the Lord. And then a few months later, oh, you'll never believe my neighbor's getting baptized. We go to the grocery store. I always enjoyed going to the grocery store with mom. There's always a few things that ended up in the cart that weren't on the list somehow, right? My mom would go, you know, I'm going to go ask this person what time it is because I want to look for an opportunity to share the gospel. And as a kid, I'm like, mom, you're so embarrassing. Like, are, are you really doing this again right right now? She would grocery shop, stay-at-home mom, food for less, Grants Pass, Oregon, looking for opportunities to share the gospel, ask that the Holy Spirit would lead her. And she'd tell you, I don't wear a watch because I want to ask people what time it is to start a conversation, to see what, see what God would do, right? But you've got to talk with people. You've got to take that time to invest and and care for them in that way and look for that opportunity to to share the gospel. So allow the Spirit of God to move in your heart and your life to say, this is for me. This is not for someone else. God is commanding me to go out and to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel, invest in people's lives. And as we see them come to, to know Christ their Savior, encouraging them to be baptized and to walk in obedience in verse 20 teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them the importance of what Christ commanded. What did he command? 
to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the great commission meets the great commandment. We have the awesome promise that Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The disciples had to have been nervous about this command that was given to them. And Jesus is saying, even though I'm ascending to the Father, I'm right there with you. There's nothing really more exciting than sharing the gospel with somebody. And depending upon the Lord as you go through that process, he is with you. And because he's with you, you have that confidence to be able to step out. Let's quickly look at how this played out in Peter's life in Acts chapter one, verse eight. An important part of this being sent, the send part of the vision is the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Then you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Peter does experience that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit as you continue to read in the book of Acts. He and the disciples in the upper room are filled with the Spirit. Begin to speak in tongues there's a lot of questions about what is this speaking in tongues. And Peter uses it as an opportunity to share the gospel. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and 41. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Peter. Stinky fisherman Peter. Peter that's always got his foot in his mouth. Peter who's selfish. Peter who tried to rebuke the Lord. Peter who denied the Lord. Preaches the gospel to this huge multitude. First time out the gates, 3,000 people get saved. Not too bad, right? B makes send. God called him to be a disciple. God made him. God sent him. And now God is using him. Think about the fruit of someone's life that you could invest in. Come alongside them and how God might use them to go out and proclaim the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is led by the Holy Spirit to go to Cornelius' house, who's a Roman centurion, who's a Gentile, and Peter's really struggling with going into a Gentile's house, but he's obedient to do it. And Peter fulfills Acts chapter one, verse eight. He took the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, the surrounding area, but now he's going outside of that Jewish epicenter, following the Holy Spirit, and Cornelius and his household get saved. And this sends shockwaves through the church. Peter moved into that send portion of his life. So this is what I hope for my life and for your life, for our lives, is that we would be disciples, that Christ would make us, that we would begin to then invest in others, and we would be sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is all about the church being obedient to the Spirit. Not good ideas, not strategies, but okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And God was leading. 
And as they stepped out in the things that God was leading them to do, there was great fruit. We don't have to do this in our own power. We don't have to try to be witnesses and proclaim the gospel in our own power. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to leave you with a few stories tonight just to try to illustrate this a little bit. One comes from my good friend Kent Nolly. He's serving over in Gulu as one of our missionaries. Many of you have heard him teach at RMC with his wife Rebecca and their, and their kids. And Kent came to RMC about 20 years ago, and he'd just gotten saved. One of his friends, his Air Force buddies, that still comes to church here faithfully at, at RMC, was investing in him. They were roommates. Dan's a believer. Kent's an unbeliever. Kent's not real open to the gospel. But over time, Kent sees his need to get saved. And he gets saved. And Dan and Kent start coming to to RMC. And Kent's excited about the Lord and the Word and growing in the Lord. And Kent starts getting invested in. A lot of people start investing in, in Kent. Kent starts serving. He's serving in the high school ministry at, at this time. I was the high school pastor. I took a weekend off. It was actually a Wednesday night and asked Kent to teach. I think it was the first time that Kent taught. And Kent looks at all these high school kids and at that time there was a lot of rough high school kids in our youth ministry. It wasn't abnormal to bust up a drug deal during youth group. If you watch closely, it was, it was happening on a, a regular basis, and all kinds of craziness was happening in that youth ministry. Kent goes, guys, this Bible study is not going to mean anything to you if you're not saved. You need to, you need to get saved. So I'm not going to give the Bible study. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get saved. And he gives an altar call, and no joke, half the youth ministry got saved. Half the youth ministry came to Christ. I was like, I need to go on vacation more often, you know? <laughs> And Kent just continued to grow. When you would talk with Kent as he was in the Air Force, he really saw his mission field as fellow airmen that he worked with. And eventually they called to go over to Gulu, Uganda, where he's doing a pastoral training school. A lot of things they're doing there, but what they're primarily doing is investing in Ugandan men who are pastors, spending three years with them going through the word. Be, make, send. They're, they're investing in pastors that are going out and investing. Things like that are happening inside of our, our church. One that's a little more current and a little more recent. We had baptisms last weekend. Wasn't it fun? So I see my friend Matt in the foyer before service, and he says, I've been investing in this guy in Washington State. We've been doing discipleship and, and counseling and he called me this week, and he's really convicted to be baptized. Really feels that the Lord wants him to be baptized. But he, his church is closed. Couldn't find a church in the Washington State area that was having baptism. And I said, you know what? You'll never believe it. My church is having baptisms this weekend. Him and his wife bought a ticket Thursday night, flew out to Colorado Springs, and he got baptized here last Sunday. God's doing a work in his life. 
That's Jesus stuff that's happening in his life. That's what happened to Peter, where Jesus is saying, hey, the Father did this in your life. The Father did that in this man's, man's life. For me, growing up in church, when God got a hold of my life, there was a man in our church, his name was Gary Mauser. And Gary was over facilities, and then the church had a retreat center that was right up the hill from the church. Beautiful location out in the country in in Southern Oregon. And I think Gary could see that God was doing something in my life, and there was some spiritual hunger there that hadn't been before. So he'd say, Eric, why don't you come up to the retreat center, come up on a Friday night, and we'll have some root beer floats, some, some ice cream, root beer floats, and he'd get two liter root beer and then a half gallon of vanilla ice cream. And we would sit down at the table at the retreat center and in one evening polish it off. He'd just keep pouring the root beer and the ice cream. And as a 14, 15 year old guy, he had me. It was like, root beer floats, I'm in. And Gary never said, hey, hey, Eric, uh, do you want to do discipleship? He didn't say, hey, do you want to go through a book together? There's this book called Discipleship that we need to go through together. He just said, hey, let's get Ruby Floats. But then, like Jesus, he would ask me questions. So, So what's going on with this? What's going on with you and that gal? So what are you reading? Hey, why don't you try reading this and just caring for me, loving on me, challenging me. Sometimes, hey, I don't think you're thinking right. That doesn't seem to be adding up. Well, I look back now and I go, he was discipling me and I had no idea that he was discipling me. Two years ago this month, I I went back to a a friend's memorial service and I get in the sanctuary and it was a really special moment for me. Been a long time since I'd been back at Applegate and a a moment of grieving at the same time. And I look out of the corner of my eye, and standing at the back of the sanctuary is Gary Mauser. He's still working facilities at the church. And guess who were gathered around him? Some young guys. Two or three young guys. For 25, 30 years maybe, maybe a little bit more, Gary's been serving the facility at Applegate, but do you think he's really about the facility at Applegate? And he does a great job with the facility. I mean, the facility is immaculate, but he's looking for young men that he can pour his life into and say, hey, let's get some root beer floats, right? To me, Gary is a hero of the kingdom, and we all have that opportunity if we're willing, if we're willing to be open to the work of the Spirit and say, I'm going to invest in others. This, I think, is something that's hard for us in the American church is we do get so focused on ourselves and our relationship with the Lord that we forget, why is God encouraging me? Why is God comforting me? Why is God growing me? Why is he blessing me? Because he wants me to invest in others. Life, the kingdom of God, church, is going to become a much more exciting place if we get this perspective or say, I want to make disciples. I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to invest in others. 
and look around for that spiritual interest. Where is there a movement of God? Is there a movement of God that's happening in your home with one of your kids? Man, then, then capitalize on that. Is there a coworker that all of a sudden seems to have some interest? Well, well then press into that and, and pray about that and see what the Lord's doing and see what he is, is up to. But absolutely, this is the mission of God for us to know him and in turn to, to make him known. Be disciples, make disciples, and send disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you call us into service and you call us into to loving others and to making disciples. We do want to be used to see the gospel go out. We know there's a tremendous need right here in Colorado Springs and throughout the world, in the nations, for the gospel to be proclaimed. So Lord, would you cause us to be in awe of the gospel once again, to be awe of the fact that you, Jesus, died for our sins and rose again, and from that place that we could take the gospel out. Lord, also would you show us where areas that we can invest, people that you would bring into our lives that we could pour our lives into. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.